entitled Holy Ones, Be Made Whole. And we set the groundwork with two preliminary teachings coming out of Hebrews a few weeks ago, looking at the invitation of the Trinitarian community of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that he has given us to be made holy in order that we may be partakers in the divine nature. We have been invited to share in the table of the Lord. That the Father, Son, and Spirit are in communion. They're in community and they're doing life together. And we have been invited to partake in that communion. I referenced uh, Rublev's Trinity painting or icon from the Eastern Orthodox tradition. It's this picture of Father, Son, and Spirit behind a circular table with the front open, giving us this picture of invitation to eat and to commune and to share. And you and I have been invited into that. That is actually our most clear destiny. And it's been laid out from the beginning of time. The second week was to unpack a brief theology of the person of Jesus and his work. That he and his work was special. He is special and his work was special because he was in fact the Holy One of God. And last week, we were able to see that holiness isn't only about how we live, that is true, but who we actually are and whose we are, who we belong to, our essence and given identity as saints. You may have never been told before, if you're a believer, that you are actually a saint. You are a holy one. Agios is the Greek word chosen by God. It's an identity that is given to us. You don't have to create it. You don't have to perform to achieve it. You don't have to conjure it up. It is freely given to you. And all we have to do is walk out of that given identity by the power of God's grace and spirit. We are saints. To be made holy is to be made a saint, living and breathing And today, we get to look at one of Jesus' most famous and most controversial commands from the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And there are three I words that I want to build off of as we consider this statement from Jesus of Nazareth. Inspiration of the Spirit, imitation of Christ, and integration of our whole life. So inspiration, imitation, and integration. Now you all know I am not, if you're new today, by the way, I'm not a three-point sermon kind of teacher. So um, this is not my only, <laughs> my only uh, three points for today, okay? There are more, I do promise you that, all right? But I do want to build off of this idea of inspiration of the Spirit, the imitation of Christ, and integration of our whole life. Because I believe, and I think the scriptures speak to this, and the tradition of the church speaks to this, that holiness requires all three. Inspiration of the Spirit, imitation of Christ, and integration of our whole life. Now, as you know, our purpose and our aim at Emmaus is to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. That is what we are after. Counterformation from the way of the world to the way of Jesus from the teachings of our secular age to the teachings of this ancient rabbi who is, in fact, God, believing that his way leads to life. Now, this idea actually comes from Jesus' final words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, where he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into, what? Practice... Poeo is the word in Greek, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Everyone who hears these words of mine, anyone, everyone who puts my teaching into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The invitation of Jesus is broad, but the way is narrow. The door is broad. The invitation is to everyone, but the way is narrow. Anyone can follow Jesus, no matter who you are and where you've come from. But he is inviting you into a narrow way. And for those of us who actually put his words into practice, it is like building our house on a rock. And let's be honest, in a chaotic unstable time and world, I think we need solid foundation as people. We need stability. We're looking for stability everywhere. Everywhere. From TikTok to blogs to pop psychology to binging on Netflix shows. Like we're trying to find something to get us through the milieu of our society. And Jesus is saying, put my teachings to practice. He's not just a good person. He wasn't just a revolutionary. Yes, he's God. Yes, he's king. Yes, he's savior. But he also came to teach you a new way of life and to challenge your presuppositions about reality. So when we read the teachings of Jesus, Emmaus, we must operate out of this principle. His truth plus his way equals flourishing life. His truth plus his way equals flourishing life. I stole this from Tyler Staten at Bridgetown. You guys know I love Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. And he used this in his teaching most, most recently. His truth plus his way equals flourishing life. Because here's the thing. Without his truth, you cannot find his way. Truth is actually illuminating. And truth is separate from facts. I'm not going to expound on that right now, but I just want us to be aware. Truth and facts are different. Without his truth, you cannot find his way. Without following his way, you are denying his truth. We have to have both for flourishing life. It is one thing for us to resonate with the teachings of Jesus. It is another thing to live as obedient disciples of Jesus in his way. Do you understand the brevity of that, the weight of that? Some of us just resonate with Jesus but we don't necessarily obey. And resonance and obedience are vastly different. You and I have been invited to obey, to trust and obey as a matter of fact. Some of you in here today, you came in just resonating with Jesus, but he's actually invited you to trust him with everything and to obey his way, believing that it leads to abundant life. No one said it's easy. He certainly didn't. He said it's actually very difficult and hard, but it's a road that leads to life. And last I checked, we all are yearning for joy, peace, and life that can get us through. We actually need a paradigm that can get us through suffering. And pleasure stacking doesn't. Distraction doesn't. Escapism doesn't. Jesus has a vision that allows suffering to be a part of our formation into life. I think someone needed to hear that today. It's not in my notes, I promise. You can check me after the teaching. <laughs> um, Derwin Gray uh, says this. He says, holiness is a lifelong journey of trusting Jesus. A lifelong journey of not just trusting, but increasingly trusting him. Some of you trust Jesus, maybe at a scale of zero to 10 today, maybe like, out of a, like three out of 10. Maybe four out of 10, you trust him. You're like, okay, I'm rocking with this. You know, this is cool, right? I grew up in church. I kind of get it, sort of. He's asking for more. He wants all of your trust with every facet of your being. And here's why I say this regarding putting to practice his teachings. Because if we are to put into practice his teachings, then we cannot dismiss his teaching to be perfect. 
we have to wrestle with the hard teachings of Jesus. We can't just pick and pull apart what we like and what we don't like because of our feelings or our cultural moment. Um, if you go back and look in the 1800s, there was something called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Anybody familiar with the Jefferson Bible? Yes, it's uh, rather um, discouraging, maybe. Uh, where Jefferson just pulled apart the things that he didn't like and took out of the Bible and made a new one. Like, literally. But what's interesting, we do the same thing. Right? We say things like, my beliefs. As though you conjured them up on your own in some cave, figuring out the world. Right? We have to take it all into consideration. Every bit of it. The things we like and the things we don't like. And if we are going to put into practice his teachings, we have to acknowledge he calls us to be perfect in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not like this is some random passage in Luke. This is in his greatest sermon at the center of it. And at the end of it, he says to put it all into practice. And he just said, be perfect. Therefore, as my heavenly father is perfect. A lot of us take every other teaching in the Sermon on the Mount serious, or at least some of us do, But when he says be perfect, we just kind of dismiss it and don't look at it. But I believe if Jesus is giving the command, he also supplies the means to fulfill the command. He provides you the grace to command, uh, the, the grace to fulfill this command. And we need to understand the teachings of Jesus. We need to comprehend them with knowledge and understanding and wisdom. But we also must practice the teaching. I don't want you here today just getting new knowledge. I want you to put it all into practice to change your habits and your way of life. Now, most scholars think that this is Jesus reiterating the words of Yahweh throughout the book of Leviticus multiple times, specifically here in Leviticus 19.2, where Yahweh says, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Which makes... For an interesting situation for us, does it not? Because I thought the law didn't matter. Or didn't Jesus fulfill the law? Like the law is done away with? Isn't there a new covenant? Yet here is Jesus quoting the law and commanding us to follow it. Plus, remember, Peter does the same thing. He also says, be holy. Because your God is holy. And this reveals a very important aspect of how we seek to understand and apply the scriptures, which is just called hermeneutics. This is important for you and I in this moment. Just because some Old Testament laws aren't binding on believers doesn't mean no laws are. Just because the law has been fulfilled and we are no longer under it doesn't mean some laws don't carry through Jesus and into the New Testament. He's quoting the law. He's calling us to follow this aspect of the law. Do you know where we get the the call to love your neighbor as yourself from, ultimately? Leviticus. The law. It's an important hermeneutic for us. So, what does being perfect have to do with being holy? I know that's your uh, ultimate question. In fact, you even hear the word perfect today and you're kind of squirming. You're like, ooh, I don't really like that very much. First of all, the word for be in both Leviticus and in Matthew chapter 5 is in the future tense, in future orientation. So it could read, you shall be perfect, or you are to be perfect, the future tense. The Hebrew word for be in Leviticus is hayah, which I love that, right? Like, hayah! <laughs> it's a Hebrew word, hayah. Was that like you're making fun of me in the laugh, or are you laughing with me or at me? I, I don't know. I don't even know how to get back into my notes now. 
<laughs> but this word hayah means to come into existence, to come into existence or to come into being. So become holy or shall become perfect. There is this sense of becoming in the Hebrew text and in Matthew chapter five, which reveals for us that perfection or holiness is actually dynamic and not static. It's dynamic and not static. It is an active agent. Being is active. You know how sometimes we'll say things like, um, it's about being, not doing. And I'm like, you sound really smart, but being is active. And our being and our doing go hand in hand. Who we are and what we do go hand in hand. Our identity and our function and our way of life go hand in hand. Same with being and doing. Being is active. You may be still, but you are actively still. Because you are a person that is becoming. You are an emerging, breathing, moving person. James K. Smith is a philosopher that I really enjoy. says that human beings are like sharks. We're always on the move. Always after something. But there is this sense that the call to holiness is more about becoming than it is about achieving. Becoming versus achieving. See, I told you I had more than three, uh, three points to my, my sermon. And because it is relational, holiness is a relational term, there's always more. There's always more. There's always more. Holiness is infinite. It's like the transcendentals. Anyone heard about the transcendentals from Greek, Greek philosophy? Anybody? Yeah? Goodness, truth, and beauty. Okay? Back to Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. You can never have enough beauty. You can never have enough goodness. You can never have enough truth. There's always more. Same goes for holiness because God is holy and he's infinite. There is more to be experienced. In fact, if today you came in here asking, is there more than this? The answer is an emphatic yes. There's so much more. You have only touched a drop that at some point in your life you should be swimming in. There is more. There is so much more for you and for I. But holiness is about becoming, and there is more to enjoy because it is dynamic. The philosopher Dallas Willard says, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. He's not saying what you do doesn't matter. He's just saying the most important thing in your life is who you become. I had the privilege over sabbatical to read Dallas Willard's biography, of course. It's called Becoming Dallas Willard. And Tyler Ersey texted me, actually. He knew that I read that book, and he's like, so did you become Dallas Willard over sabbatical? <laughs> and I was like, uh, touche. <laughs> Who are you becoming? What type of person are you becoming? Who do you want to become? Because rather than asking, what am I to do next? Which is a very Western utilitarian type question. It might be a better question to ask, who do I want to become? Because at some point, friends, especially those of us who are millennials and Gen Zers who think that the world is our oyster, time's ticking. At some point you will wake up and that's the person that you became. Somebody's, oh, Jesus, Lord, whoa, <laughs> wow, <laughs> you know, you know, all you who are 20, at some point you're going to be 50, all you who are 30, at some point you're going to be 60, and all you who are 70 are 70, <laughs> and you became, hello world, right, <laughs> but guess what, you're still emerging too, you're still becoming in some way, in some form. But we are all moving towards this posture of becoming. So who are you becoming? You need to ask yourself that question, not just what do I do? That's a good question to ask, but who am I becoming? Now, this isn't just a question of behavior, but of attitude and condition. The source of our behavior and actions. 
the difference between being willing and being willful. Willing and willful. Let's spend some time to kind of break apart these two words, which you might think are the same, and they're actually not. Some of us are willfully trying to follow Jesus, and it isn't working. Willfully. Because at the center of our being, in our heart, we actually aren't willing. Do you see the difference? You aren't actually open to change. You would prefer to stay the way you are. But there's a wrestle in your spirit, a restlessness, a dis-ease. The posture that many of us have following Jesus is with our arms crossed. Looking like kids in middle school who had just been asked by a PE teacher to go run laps on the track. You know those kids, or were you one of those kids? You know, you're like 11, you have PE class, beginning of the day, PE teacher comes in and says, we're going out on the track. And you're like, oh dear God, help me, please. You know what I'm talking about? Your arms are crossed and you're doing it, right? You're doing it. But it is willful. You are not willing at all. I know some of you cocked attitudes with PE teachers back in the day because I did, right? Some of us, this is our posture towards Jesus when he says, come follow me. And you're like, all right, here we go. When are we going to be done, man? That doesn't last very long. It's willful. It's not willing. Does that resonate with anybody? Don't raise your hand. I think it does for some of us today. You and I can't willfully change. Willpower alone won't work because willpower is a depleting resource. That's why you can get a lot done in the beginning of the day and not a lot at the end of the day. Right? Willpower is a depleting resource. You can't willfully change. And you can't also participate passively either. You must willingly participate in your becoming holy. You must willingly participate in your becoming holy. You do not sanctify yourself, but you do create conditions for the Spirit to sanctify you. And some of us haven't created the conditions to be sanctified. He does all of the sanctifying. He does all the, the pruning. He does all of the forming. He does all of the shaping. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter, a tecton. He either worked with wood or with stone. We're not sure. But Jesus is a master craftsman. Okay, but the conditions have to be created in order for us to be sanctified. We have to be willing participants in our becoming. We can't just say, well, God will do all of the work. Kind of. Effort is involved. Willard's famous for saying that grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You've got to put in some effort. You have to. So being holy is really about becoming holy. It is a process that happens over time. So many of us grew up in the, the church or the tradition of the church and never really heard the word process. It was always just focused on little moments here and there. It was like little moments that just got us through for the next six months. And it's like, no, man, that's exhausting. You are actually on a journey a process of becoming that happens over time as we increasingly and willingly allow the inspiration of the Spirit, which inspiration means immediate influence of God. That's what the etymology of the word inspiration means. Or to inhale breath, like to inhale God over time. That's what it means to receive inspiration. And this inspiration of the Spirit in us increasingly transforms us. Our will, our freedom, our desires are formed to be in alignment with God's will. Where we begin to want what He actually wants for us. One of the challenges for a lot of us is that we actually don't want what God wants for us. But over time in transformation, as we willingly give our life to Him... 
and we are transformed from the inside out, and we are inspired by him and are wooed by him and are captivated by him, we begin to want what he wants for us. Jackie Hill Perry says the cheat code for sanctification is to look at Jesus more than anything else. We are wooed by him, and over time, as we are captivated by him, we begin to want what he wants. Our will is formed to be in alignment with God's will. And I have an optimistic view of grace. God's grace, his sanctifying grace, can transform your desires and your will to be in alignment with God's, where you don't want what you wanted 10 years ago. That's the power of the Spirit in us. But we have to, over time, willingly surrender more and more. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 and verse 7 says, It is God's will, His desire, that you should be sanctified. Not partly, not somewhat. Not a touch of sanctification. Sanctified. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Our will is surrendered to the divine will. We know too many people who are, quote unquote, following Jesus, whose lives look just like they did 20 years ago. They've stalled or stagnated. But God desires to move us towards a greater sanctification. Adrian von Kampf says, Spirituality in the most profound sense resides in the core of my being, in my deepest self or spirit, where I, as willing, unite my will to the will of God for me. Whatever I learn, do, or observe should lead me to this core. Daily life, in turn, should be an outflow of this center. That is what it means to surrender our will. And that is hopefully the direction in which we are moving and becoming. A more surrendered will. Open. Arms no longer crossed, but arms open to life and what God has for us. Now we get to deal with this P word. Perfect. Jesus is asking us to become perfect. However, most of us, unfortunately, import a misguided definition of the word perfect. We usually think perfect score or perfect grade or perfectionism or perfectionist. Does anybody here a perfectionist? Yeah, okay. These are all the people who judge you really, really hard. <laughs> They're like, there are no excuses, man. Get it together. <laughs> that's what we think of when we think of perfect and perfection or without flaw or without sin altogether. But as we already said, this isn't so much about a static achievement, but a dynamic process of becoming. You are shedding off aspects of your old self over time. But you have the freedom because God grants you freedom to put that old self back on if you want to. And some of us have done that. Because it's comfortable, so to speak. It's comfortable. You know, sin's actually pretty comfortable. It is. It's comfortable. And Jesus wants you to become uncomfortable and mold you and shape you. You are like clay. And when the Spirit's poured on you, you become moldable. But some of us today are hard as rocks, man. Hard as rocks. Selah has recently got into playing with Play-Doh. Occasionally we'll taste of the Play-Doh. And I'm like, that is not very good, is it? She makes a face like this, keeps eating it. And I'm like, that's called sin, you know? <laughs> it's not good for you, but you keep eating it. Plato, when it's left out over time, it gets hard, right? Well, we're to be soft and molded by the Spirit, the water of the Spirit poured on us that softens us, so He molds us. We have feet that are like clay. He wants to shape you and mold you, but some of us are hard. 
But he is wanting to mold us, I think, today. So this, na- this notion of perfection is not about being without flaw or without sin. That won't come until life after death. But it is this dynamic process of becoming. And the Greek word that Jesus uses here for perfect is the word teleos. Can you say teleos? Teleos. And it's an adjective and is a derivative of a noun. And that word is telos. Can you say telos? Some of us might be familiar with the word telos. It means end, completion, goal, or aim. So what Jesus is actually communicating is that for your life to be described as perfect, to become holy, it is actually about becoming mature or complete. In fact, if you read the context around Matthew 5.48, you see this children-father dynamic. And it's this notion of moving on towards maturity or completeness or wholeness. Wholeness. Be mature or be whole as your heavenly Father is whole. And every part of our person is to be orienting and aligning in the same direction at the same aim toward the same end. That is the process of sanctification over time. Now, in 1954, the French sociologist Jacques Ellul wrote a famous, deeply prophetic book called The Technological Society, basically explaining how modernity obsesses over technique or means or um, methods and processes, but has lost sight of the end goal or a collective telos, that mere production equals success. Just because an app is produced, we assume it means success and we're moving towards some end, but we don't actually know what that end really is. We have all of these techniques, do this thing, buy this product, watch this show, listen to this podcast, listen to this influencer. Okay, great. These are all techniques for managing your life, but where in fact are you going? We've lost a collective telos. And in a little shorter, much easier read from Jacques Ellul called Presence in the Modern World, he says this regarding this idea of technology and technique without an end. He says, in this frightful round of unchecked means, nobody knows any longer where they are going. Purposes are forgotten and ends are overtaken. Look at this. Humus is chilling. Human beings have set off at astronomically high speeds towards nowhere. We're moving faster than ever before, man. Cars go faster than ever before. DoorDash can be at your house quick. I got Amazon delivered this week, same day. We're moving fast. But where are we going? Because I thought it was the ends that determine the means. But we don't know the end goal, or we can't agree on it, or it's a dead end. Without a telos, without a picture of the end, we will have no understanding of our direction toward that end. We're just moving aimlessly through life, trying out new techniques, new means, new methods. For what? Often the sign of an immature follower of Jesus is a divided life. James 1 is very clear when he speaks of double-mindedness being pulled in different directions. Our mouth says one thing, our life is another. And in an anxious society, in a systemically anxious society, we all have a herd instinct. So as the herd goes, we tend to kind of follow right along. We are creatures of imitation by default. Our brain functions off mirror neurons. But we have to learn how to be differentiated and say, whoa, hold on a second. Like, where are we going? Where are we going? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 through 14 says this, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Mature or complete or perfect, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, and this is key text for us, prophetic word, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Oftentimes, immature believers, sometimes us, we get tossed by these different teachings that kind of come and go. 
And we also have this sense that new is automatically right. Is that true? Because last I checked, a lot of new products are actually junk. <laughs> the way cars are manufactured in some regards, some new homes are put up in five days. Like, talk to a construction worker. Just talk to someone who builds. They're like, actually, the older materials were way better. New is not necessarily better. And we can easily be tossed back and forth by teaching from the culture or from society. And we have to be very careful that if we base our entire worldview and way of living on a moving culture, we're going to be unstable people. It also makes us very anachronistic and ethnocentric and arrogant as well to assume that we in 2023 have figured it out here in America. That's arrogance. Because last I checked, physiologically, our intellect hasn't changed in thousands of years. That was a rant. I'm really sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm really sorry. But I'm deeply passionate about this. Like, just think. C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery. We assume that um, we are enlightened and figured it out, and the rest of the world will catch up at one point. You know? Get it together, eastern part of the world. What? But we're often tossed back and forth because we don't have a telos. I mean, honestly, if your doctrine and teaching has changed and keeps changing every six months, every six months or so, like there's some shifting happening in your foundation we got to talk about. I'm all fine for reformation and change and transformation, but there is a constant movement that needs to change. I mean, you got to understand some people wrestle with ideas and teachings and doctrines throughout history for their whole life. For their whole life. Our telos as the people of God is the whole measure of the fullness of Christ or Christ's likeness. All of life should be moving towards the fullness of Christ. Wholehearted, all of life devotion to Jesus as he moves all creation toward wholeness and completeness. That is what he is doing. He's invited you into that. He's invited you into that. And, and I would encourage you, if you're a skeptic today, put his vision up against the vision of the world that the humans, we, have created, and just test it. Test it. So holiness, here's a quick definition for you regarding holiness, because some of you are still like, I don't even know what holiness means. Holiness is the spirit-empowered, spirit-empowered, vocational dynamic of willingly walking towards wholeness and devotion to God and becoming more like him by way of his transforming presence. That is what holiness is. I have a graphic for you because I'm a visual learner. Anybody else in here a visual learner? Yes? Okay, this may not be helpful for you, but it's helpful for me. All right? There is this sense that we have been called as the people of God to move in towards oneness with him. And this process of moving towards God over time, sanctification, is holiness. And we become a devoted people to a distinct God. God is holy. He is distinct. He is a holy other. He's unique. He's different. He's not like the world. And we've been called as the people of God to move towards God and his transforming presence. That is the direction that we are going. And as we move over time, what happens, if you go to the next slide, is that we move towards wholeness and perfection by the presence of God. Again, like clay, we are put in a kiln and we are formed and crystallized by the presence of God. How beautiful a picture. Did you know that our English word holy actually has Germanic roots meaning whole, healthy, and happy? So to not be holy is actually to miss out on happiness. If every area of our life, Emmaus, doesn't have the same telos pulling it forward, dissonance and fragmentation ensues by default because you literally can't serve two masters. You can't. It's impossible. And here's where many of us are tripped up, trapped and wrestling today. And some of you, I think, are. I wrestle with this myself. Some dimensions of our lives are oriented toward God and his purposes, and other dimensions of our life isn't. 
Did you know that the, the Greek word for anxiety or worry comes from the idea of to, to, to divide or cut into pieces? To be pulled apart. When our ultimate telos is divided across our various dimensions of our person, it is impossible to experience wholeness or holiness. Because holiness is wholeness. Health and ultimately happiness. Mildred Bangs Weinkoop says compartmentalization occurs when any part of the person, his social relationships, his business practices, his religious activities, his moral life become autonomous segments of the personality, each dedicated to a different God. Hello? Each making its own rules and setting its own goals. Some dimensions of our life have God as our telos and some have a different goal. Holiness is one love unifying all the inner life and outer norms for activity. Christ must, listen, Christ must be Lord of all or not claimed as Lord at all. No one's begging you to surrender to Jesus. I'm just saying I believe his way is the best. But it's going to cost you a lot. What profits a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? How many people do you know that quote-unquote have it all and they're miserable? Or they're aching or they're hurting? And you know why? Because as St. Augustine said, the heart is utterly restless until it finds rest in thee. The only way wholeness is possible is through integration of our various dimensions. Okay, now I'm going to get a little bit technical and nerdy as we kind of wrap up our time together. Can we hold on for a little bit? Okay, good. I got some affirmation for like two of you. Fantastic. Um, some of you know this, some of you don't know. I, I have been really impacted by a handful of writers and thinkers over my life. Okay, Winecoop is one. Dallas Willard is one. Howard Thurman is one. Uh, John Mark Comer is one. Uh, and Adrian von Kamm, who was a Catholic priest and psychologist who taught at Duquesne University for a while. And, um, kind of developed this discipline called formative spirituality. And he has this anthropology where he he looks at the different dimensions of a person. Because you have different dimensions, all in one, all intersected, working together, but there are different dimensions. And I'm going to walk through these together because some of us in our life have different dimensions that aren't actually in alignment with God, and it's producing dissonance. That the telos of these certain dimensions may not be actually in pursuit of the Holy One of God. Okay, so here we go. Here are his five dimensions. The social or socio-historical dimension, which makes up our relationships, our relationality. Human beings are social animals. We're social, so, social creatures. I don't like social animals. Um, we're image bearers, but social creatures, okay? Um, we also have a family of origin. You all have come from a family that has baggage and beauty, Right? We all were dealt certain hand of cards, all right? We have relationships and family of origin, okay? Then the, the vital dimension, this makes up our body, our heart, our mind, our emotions, our thought life, our interior life, okay? The vital dimension. And then we also have the functional dimension. This would be our, our will, our choices, our actions, our work, our behavior, what we produce in the world, so to speak, how we play, how we make, how we live. Then there's the transcendent dimension. All of us as human beings have this longing for the more than. There's a a new Subaru commercial. Maybe some of you have seen it. Where a father and son are going to Yosemite National Park. Has anybody seen this commercial? It's really recent, last week. They're going to Yosemite, and the son is deaf. He, He can't speak. And the father is using sign language to communicate with his son. And they pull up in the Subaru to this massive waterfall at Yosemite. They go out to stand on a rock. And he signs to his dad and says, do you feel that? There is a sense that we as humans are transcendent. Like we, we, we long for the more than, okay? And then as we become believers, there's a fifth dimension, which he calls the pneumatic. That's just the Holy Spirit dimension, okay? Now, on to the next slide. So what we are after is the people of God is, and I feel like I'm kind of like lecturing right now, so just bear with me. Um, what we're after as the people of God is consonance or wholeness or integration, okay? Where the spirit, the pneumatic 
is the central driving force of our life. Dissonance and disintegration occurs where one part of our person is actually segmented off from the rest. It's compartmentalized. It's separate. Or it's off altogether. It's totally separate. But integration and consonance means every facet of our being should be interweaving together, moving towards the same goal and telos. And as we progress over time and, and, and become mature believers, what begins as the transcendent impacting us and, and changing us turns into actually it's the Holy Spirit. So originally in our life, we're like yearning for more than. It's kind of like us seeking, seeking for the more than. Then when we re receive the Spirit of God, now it's the Spirit of God coming into our life, forming these various dimensions. Does that make sense? Here's where often we get tripped up, though. A lot of us live from the functional into the transcendent, where we want our functional life to serve our transcendent life. But actually, it should be the transcendent or the Holy Spirit changing how we live in everyday life and changing our heart, mind, emotions, body, and even our relationships. That should be what is actually shaping us as the people of God. Because without it, we will be depleted over time. So we have to have integration of all of these dimensions. And for some of us, if we look at our life, which I want you to use this paradigm to look at your life, some of us have dimensions that are not in alignment with holiness. Whether it's certain relationships that we have or are in that are actually pulling us away from the direction of the Holy Spirit. Or some of us are worshiping careerism and upward mobility. The American dream is dissonant with a generous life coming from the transcendent. Some of us are engaging in activities with our body that are dissonant from our body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's creating a dissonance and disintegration in our life. What we say we believe in terms of the pneumatic or the transcendent is actually not in alignment with our functional or our vital disposition or dimension. Or our mind thinks one thing, but our actions do another. It's dissonance and disintegration. So you have to examine your life and ask, where in these dimensions is there malalignment? Is it in the vital dimension? Is it with my body? Is it with my mind? Is it with my will, my desires, my relationships? Is, is there something to be reconciled with my family of origin? Are there bad habits that have been passed through epigenetics and my DNA that need to change? What are the dimensions that might be mal-aligned? It's questions we have to all ask. Some of us are wrestling with various questions of this nature. Um... A few months ago, Jordan was uh, preparing a Sabbath breakfast, making biscuits and gravy in Jesus' name. But she realized that she was uh, missing a very key ingredient. You ever cooked a meal or, or began to cook a meal and you started substituting ingredients that are in the recipe because you didn't want to take the time to go to the grocery store? And you're like, yeah, this will work. We'll make it work. Well, uh, she's making biscuits and gravy and doesn't have any milk. So my wife, in her human ingenuity, says, uh, we can just use water. Okay. So she makes it. And that mess was terrible. <laughs> terrible. Or one time we were making a poppy seed chicken casserole, which we had last week in God's grace. Thank you, Jesus. It was so good. And we were making it, and Jordan was like, you know what? We don't have any Ritz crackers, but we can use saltines. And I was like, first of all, no one likes saltines unless you're sick. All right? So we did it. It was terrible. Okay? Uh, or one time my dad was making pasta salad, didn't have any mayonnaise, so he used Miracle Whip. Oh, what? Some of us, as it pertains to the dimensions of our life, have certain ingredients in the recipe that actually are working against the flavor it's meant to produce. And there is not harmony of flavor in your life. Something just tastes off. 
because one ingredient is not supposed to be there. Whether it's, in your, whether it's actions with your body, your mind, your heart, relationships, how you engage with work, your desires, your pursuits, whatever it may be. So you have to ask, what ingredient in my life right now is off and is not working in harmony? So, Jesus is calling some of you in this room to recognize the substituted ingredients and to realign the direction of some of these dimensions today. Because your health and sense of wholeness depends upon it. You can't be whole without these dimensions being in alignment, working in harmony. Some of us live disintegrated, dissonant lives or compartmentalized lives. And he's calling you and I to integration and wholeness and holiness. And it requires an external source, the Spirit of God, breathing in us as we inhale, helping to align these different dimensions. And guess what? We do have to wait when we put it in the oven. We do have to wait. But we have to have these ingredients aligned. I close with this from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. I'll have the band come up as we move to partake in Eucharist together. This is a prayer for you today. This is a call for you today. This is a charge for you today. May God himself, the God of peace, harmony, wholeness, shalom, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The NASB says, may God himself sanctify you entirely. What dimension of your life today needs to experience the sanctification of God in order to experience and achieve peace and joy?